0: Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast live from City AM Towers. I'm Andy Sylvester, editor here. In a minute, I'll be joined by Jack Barnett, our economics and markets correspondent, to have a look at the latest inflation figures. And then after that, by Professor Sean Meehan, who will talk to us about customer centricity and why businesses need to put customers first to ensure genuine, long-term, sustained success. Plenty of corporate news around today. Dark Trace shares down significantly after uh, yet another newspaper report linking the Company to the Mike Lynch extradition case. Um, but really, there's only one show in town today, and that is the inflation numbers out of the Office of National Statistics this morning. Plenty of headaches for Rishi Sunak in there, plenty of headaches for Boris Johnson at Prime Minister's questions today. But, Jack, plenty of headaches for the UK economy. Talk us through the numbers and then we'll talk about just how bad they are on a sort of historical basis.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, we have had a quite a few times in this podcast before where we've delivered these inflation statistics and caveated it with uh, they surprised to the upside. Now, this is this is actually the first time they've surprised to the downside in quite a while. So uh, they came in at 9% on the year. That is a, a shade lower than what the Bank of England was expecting. It's also a shade lower of what the city was expecting. Nonetheless, it is now running at a four-decade high. Uh, the highest rates since 1982. It's also up from 7%. In March, which was also a three-decade high. Now, most of that um, profile is being driven by the energy price cap um, hike dropping in April, which is fifty-four um, percent. And then within that, driving that price cap hike, um, you've got natural gas prices nearly doubling on the year, electricity prices up about fifty percent, fifty percent as well. So, Offgem obviously just passing on mm. those those higher prices, but obviously it's just it's really illustrating the fact that, bearing in mind, these are the first figures that we've had since um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is illustrating the the actual level of severity that that war is putting um, Mm. on the the UK economy.
0: Yeah, of course, because Andrew Bailey earlier this week saying that inflation was, you know, around 80% of it caused um, by sort of factors outside really of the of the UK economy's control. So you had global supply issues. Then, of course, Ukraine, Russia, war, hitting food prices. We're seeing that. I mean, even Premier Foods, who make cherry bakewells, um, talking about how they were being hit by inflation, it would necessarily see prices rise on the shelves. Fairly universal. Um point why don't we just before we talk about what what that means to the wider economy just dig us into sort of two well one particular forward warning number i suppose of where inflation might go i'm not saying it's going to go that high um but ppi inflation so essentially factory gate inflation how much stuff costs to buy right um staggeringly high
1: yeah so we have two measures of this um separate index from the rns so we've got uh input price inflation which is basically just the cost of raw materials that manufacturers need to use to to um, keep their businesses running during the day. And then they have the ch- the actual um, prices which those factories then charge for the products that they produce. Now, b- on both of those measures, it's extremely hot. So mm-hmm. input price inflation is running at a record high. It's around about 18%. That is then feeding into higher output price inflation, which is the highest since 2008. Um, the sort of anal- analytical point of that is that the products produced by factories are used pretty widely across the across the economy so mm. higher prices then are going to ripple throughout the supply chain and it's just going to strengthen incentives of businesses to pass on higher costs to consumers
0: yeah. yeah absolutely um it was relatively challenging to find any good news um, in that in that readout there were there was some sign that um particularly around the automotive industry that some of those global supply chains had started to ease but again this was before zero COVID kind of hit properly Mm. in China and we saw Shanghai and Beijing lockdown and and the issues that Asian lockdowns are having on the production of electric vehicles. So we may well see that coming in to hit this in a couple of months, so I probably can't read too much into even the only the only chink of good news in, in the numbers. Um, what are analysts saying about what this might mean for the Bank of England? Because there is a working theory we are expecting more rate rises over the year. Um, the question is around timing, and the question is how much headroom does the bank have before it actually starts to choke off any version of economic growth? Because we're talking about inflation, and that's one thing. We've been talking about real wage growth, which is... Another thing, and also lower than inflation. Mm. Um, the third thing as a result of those two, more or less, is basically non-existent economic growth. So what are analysts saying about what the bank might do, how brave they might have to be, how risky they might have to be to try and get a, get a hold on inflation, or whether they're okay with inflation, um, as long as they don't cho- choke off you know, the economic recovery?
1: Yeah, so I think the response to the figures today were a lot more, this is from the city, were a lot mm. more, hawkish than they've been recently. And I think that's mainly been driven by the fact that we are now really starting to see domestic inflationary pressures starting to build. So, core um, inflation, which is a measure of the underlying um, levels of inflationary pressures in the economy within the UK, is still pretty hot. and it runs against this this point that you, that you said there that Andrew Bailey made earlier this week that around about eighty percent of this of the profile of this inflation is out of control mm. of the central bank. Now, centru- monetary policy is very very good at taming domestic inflation because it actually targets um, the behaviour of consumers within a country. It's very, it doesn't really do anything about international inflation mm. i.e. what we're getting from higher energy prices imported from um, Europe. Um, I think the fact that that print is now still very high and trending upwards, the city is now really expecting the bank to go faster and potentially to go steeper. So we had a a note out from Bank of America after today's reading um, saying that there's probably going to be four more rate hikes this year. There's already been four, so that would take it to eight. Mm. Um, I think there is only eight or nine MPC meetings in a year. So you're kind of looking at how, right, each, each meeting. <laughs> Where does that leave
0: us then? Around 2% at the back end of the oh, year?
1: Around 2%. then they're potentially pricing in a 50 basis point hike in August, which the Bank of England very, very rarely does. So mm. I think the city is now very much expecting the bank to go harder and faster. And we did have comments um, yesterday from a previous head of the Bank of England, Mervyn King, speaking to LBC, um, saying that keeping uh, interest rates at 1% whilst inflation is potentially going to peak at 10% just kind of looks completely out of whack. So, yeah,
0: these inflation numbers, it's interesting. They're the highest since, well, highest since records began, but the highest since estimated around 1982, right? Um, on a promising England football team. Um, went away somewhere hot and came back empty-handed as we look ahead to, to the Qatar World Cup this year. Embattled um, Tory Prime Minister in Downing Street, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. There are parallels. Um, not much is clear. Um but interest rates then were, were, were far, far above what we're talking about now. We're talking about, you know, this massive rate hike cycle and it's going to get us to 2%, which is still basically historically low. Um, moving away from the bank, I suppose, and you going to say it must be serious if the bank's going to do something in August of all times. Um, uh, economists not a, pol- a political analyst, but this is continuing to pile pressure on Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think economists are pretty unanimous in their calling for the Chancellor now to step in and ramp up support from what he's already provided at the moment, particularly for um, Mm. the poorest households because they are the people who are shouldering the greatest burden from this inflation shock because it's been driven by energy prices. As we all know, they spend a greater proportion of income on energy bills. Um, I think we've had quite a few reports and briefings coming out from um, the Chancellor potentially bringing forward the income tax cut in the coming mm. months, also potentially ramping up the, um, the, the the winter home allowance as well. So that will obviously help poorer households. Um, I think it now kind of looks both from a political point of view and from an economic point of view that the point that Sunat was saying was waiting to see how far the energy price shock goes. I think now waiting until October is, doesn't look viable. It needs, something needs to happen now.
0: Yeah, and unsurprisingly at City AM. Um, my answer... would would not be more nickety schemes and giveaways, but I'm bringing forward that tax cut and probably doubling it as well. Anyway, Jack, we'll leave it there for now. Um, That was Jack Barnett, our economics and markets correspondent going through inflation. I said there's plenty of Corporate news about Netflix cutting 150 jobs in the US as they feel the pain of subscribers leaving, um, no doubt in part due to that cost of living crisis. Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter continuing to be more interesting on Twitter uh, than it uh, than it actually may well be in reality. Um, Musk still seeming to, to imply that he would like to buy the firm for less than the 44 billion US dollars he'd already agreed. Twitter not exactly thrilled. We'll wait and see what US regulators say to that too. And Burberry uh, looking towards a Chinese recovery, a Chinese consumer-led recovery, um, as they hope to build on some post-pandemic growth. Um, All those businesses uh, together all have one thing in common, uh, a relentless focus on the consumer. And that's what we're going to talk about with Professor Sean Meehan, who's about to join me. He is a professor at the IMD School of Management uh, and one of the world's most renowned, I think it's fair to say, authors on management and customer centricity. Professor Meehan, thanks for joining us
2: to
0: be with you, Andy yeah glad we uh, glad we got it in the diary because it's certainly an interesting topic especially in in certain economic times that we find ourselves in um, let's start with sort of zoom out to the the top level and around customer centricity and, and what that means in a sort of the theoretical management school sense and we'll come on to what it looks like in the real world um, after that
2: sure um, Customer centricity is essentially about creating customer value in new and better ways, and accepting for management accepting that that is your raison d'être. That's why you're there. You're not there to pump up the share price. You're not there to fill your pockets. You're there to create customer value in new and better ways. And of course, you know, managers like everybody else are uh, are listening to, tuned into the the, uh, the the how how markets really work. And and consumers, they know that in fact, if they get this right, if they are seen as the one who innovates, creates customer value that wasn't there before in new and better ways, uh, then the market will flood to it. You know, it's the the reason we have Tesla. It's the reason that we have um, Uber. It's the reason that we have Amazon. Uh, When 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 it happens and the market floods to it, well, guess what? You know, all of the stakeholders benefit. Not so I separate customers I don't think of them as stakeholders. I think they are a separate body. Mm-hmm. I think of employees I think of society I think of the shareholders, the investors they all benefit when when companies get this right
0: yeah no that sounds that sounds right and I guess that's why in every single stock market announcement, every single regulatory filing that I see uh, that comes comes across my desk. And goodness me, there are a lot of those. Companies always talk about putting the consumer first, always talk about putting the customer first. But as you say, there's only a, there's only a few Teslas, there's only a few Amazons, there's only a few Ubers. Um, and some of those companies that keep talking about putting the consumer first, when you look at their revenues and their sales, clearly the market is not responding in the same way. So, uh, how do, how does it go wrong? Because I think theoretically managers get it. but at what, yeah, you know, how do how do you get thrown off course?
2: I don't think managers theoretically get it actually. I, I okay. think they you know they vaguely buy into the yeah, customers. <laughs> of course, we're going to have to say this. And in fact, you know many of them will stick this into their annual reports. and and you know for every, Horribly failing company, or rather, you know, t- take for example a bank that has a scandal. Mm. You go and read their annual report, and they'll tell you how wonderfully they look after their account holders. Uh, what, what was it called? Uh, Wells Fargo, very, very famous mm-hmm. uh, U.S. Bank, uh, nearly was taken to its knees. It was a great community bank, very, very genuinely customer focused, in a long in, in a long tradition. Um, and it's it, it's uh, it's CEO, it's chairman, and so on in the uh, in the annual report. Very very happy to talk about customer centricity and all mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff. And you know what? Um, they figured out because the management consultants told them that if they have more than five accounts of more than five products, you sell more than five products to Andy and he will suddenly become an extraordinarily profitable customer. <laughs> so they set up an incentive system to get you to buy the sixth and seventh product. And you know, when it wasn't working, they pretended they sold it to you anyway. So they had false contracts running around the place. It was a complete fraud against uh, mm. against their customers. And, you know, people went to jail for it. People with huge fines. People will never serve uh, in financial institutions again as a result. And that's a good, a good outcome. We have around, we reckon around about 25% of customers uh, get it in the sense of, sorry, of companies, mm. get it in the sense that they actually believe this and they take it seriously. About two-thirds say, you know, customer centricity is the route to is the route to great success. Uh, so there's a huge gap there. You're right. I think the other thing I would like to mention yeah. right, is it goes. It comes and goes. You know, I can point to the time when Tesco was an amazing customer-led success story. Wow. I mean, exemplary. EasyJet, I can point to it at a moment when, when Carol McCall was, was running the, the mm. airline, an extraordinary success. Now you look at the sort of things they do and, and, and you know the, the operationally led decisions they make and they're in a very tight place. Um, they, you cannot call that customer centric. Mm. What does it mean when they say they'll take out... Uh, I, I, do th- I do think, by the way, just to, to think about something going on today, is their plan, as I've understood it, to take out rows of seats in order to make it easier to serve to, to, to manage that so they can work with fewer people actually that's a that's a customer centric move in a way right because otherwise you're going to have all the seats filled revenue maximization and you're going to have too few crew uh, now there's a regulatory angle to that they actually yeah. have to have the crew so they can't fly otherwise. Uh, but there's an interesting, an interesting tension between operations maximization or financial uh, maximization versus customer value uh, maximization. Hmm. The test of the belief is, in the absence of the assurance that this will provide an economic return, will you make this bet because you know that this is good for customers today?
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense, and it's interesting what you're saying about about that coming and going in, in even within businesses we're we're in a very we're heading at least into if we're not there already very tough i think economic times um and businesses will presumably be judged even more by their customers as to whether they do feel like they're being put at the heart of what a business is doing whether they do feel like they're appreciated what i'm trying to say i guess is that for businesses this is the moment to put the customer front and center how do successful businesses do that and, and make sure that it is embedded throughout, you know, the layers of management. Because it, it's all very well, as we've talked about, the CEO talking about it in the annual report. But clearly it comes down to, you know, individual managers far lower down the chain having that same yeah. belief.
2: Yeah. So I think there's two things here, and One is, is that a fair premise? I'm not 100% sure that, that now is the moment. I think always is the moment is one simple answer to mm-hmm. it. But, you know, we've come out of COVID. No one can get any staff. You go to a hotel today, uh, you know, good luck with that experience, and, and boy, you're going yep. to pay double the price. I, I You know, I, I'm experiencing that myself. They will be full in the summer, and they will be run on, on shoestring budgets. People will have bad experiences, and that is going to cause a problem in the future. Mm. Now, what's their alternative? Turn people away? Uh, they, they, You know, they… They'll have to close. Do they make people unemployed? It is a there's a, there's a tension here that just suggests to me that firms with big balance sheets in the last few years, firms with very big balance sheets have survived COVID. Firms with not big balance sheets have been less likely to survive COVID. So the consumer is going into a period of inflation where the big balance sheet people, which is not necessarily the customer centric people. Mm. Yeah, they may have, the that may have been how they got that way, but they lose it on the way to the big balance sheet. They're going to be the ones that are going to mop up and make a lot of money in the very short term, but it's just a short-term Yeah. How you put it in place? I think how you put it in place is that, you, first of all, you have to believe it. Mm. You can't make it up. On the other hand, you can put tools and practices in place, even if you don't believe it. So You can put loyalty schemes in place. Uh, and and you know there's a, there's an economic uh, um, rationale for that. Uh, you can have um, various schemes, at various pricing segmentation. You can use a lot of customer journey analysis to try to make the customer journey better. If you're only doing so, so it depends what your motivation is. If your motivation mm-hmm. is that this is this is great for the customer, then you'll take the hit. If your motivation is is to get us to superior economic performance, then you won't take the hit. Tesco would never have invested in one in front if it was about the immediate economic hit. They invested in one in front. They ballooned their cost as a result of, of that and other things they were doing at the time. And they said this will pay off in the longer term. And it did pay off in the longer term for them. When mm. you put it in places that you signal through, putting something in place, like one in front, and then you explain, here's why this made sense to us, and this is what we believe. This is an example of our belief system. The only way people, um, employees, uh, believe uh, or, or come to learn what is expected is what's rewarded, what do they get a pat in the back for, what conversations do we have time for, uh, how do we start meetings, what's on the agenda, these are all signals in the organization, but but what we have found, what Charlie and I have found, is that you go, you go. What you have to do is you've got to create an opportunity for a big moment of belief, mm. which which is a significant investment where people are going kind to of go like, "Wow, really? We're doing that!" Poof, and then that works out. Correctly, That works out as as they hoped it would work out. It's successful. People, customers are flocking to it. More footfall, more turnover, whatever mm-hmm. that might be. And as a result, they say, that works. We should do more of those. So then you get many moments of belief. There's a story about a, a bank that handles banking, who uh, somebody was brought in from another bank. They said, okay, we're, you know, we're issuing a new credit card. And the guy said, oh, fantastic. I'll keep track. Of you know how many credit cards are getting issued, and his manager said, "No, you won't. <laughs> the minute you start tracking that, you're measuring the wrong thing." Yeah, customers may want it, may not want it. If they want it, they get it. It's okay. You know, if we've designed it right, it'll be okay. Uh, and he his his intervention there was a moment of belief for the bank, mm. and and people started to talk about it, and it's one of those stories. Culture and beliefs get um, communicated, get learned in an organization through stories, storytelling. What do people, what do they see and how Mm. do they talk? Until people see, you know, this is our identity. This is how we do things like Amazon, customer obsessed. I think it's, I I think you're way, way far away from it. Mm. Um, You got to keep the moments of belief coming. You got to the, systematise the processes that support that and you just make it. This is the normal way we do business. So much so that it is impossible for us to reverse out of it if we can.
0: Yeah, well, exactly that. It's the, it's the embedding to the point that it becomes not just second nature, but almost too difficult to, to, to move away from it, no matter the temptations, no matter the times, no matter investor pressure, whatever it might be. me, um, that was fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: A real pleasure. Thanks, Andy
0: that's professor sean mian no doubt we'll be hearing from from professor mian again in future as we we do enter these tough times customers more important than ever do check out uh, his podcast uh, the imd podcast management cast which is available exactly in the same place as you get these podcasts uh, if you want to hear more from him and his team but from all of us now at city am that's it for now uh buy a cherry Baker's while you can